We all, I think, want to believe in something that endures. We want to believe in something that will last because we know that we won't. Even if we go through our lives, our days, doing our best to forget this fact that we won't endure, that we won't last, we know. And there's a comfort in knowing that something stable in the world will remain after we're gone. That something, somewhere, someone will remain to remember us. That feeling is what's going on with our gospel reading, at the start of our gospel reading today. In our fall sermon series, we've been following the Jesus as he's remembered in the gospel according to Mark, that first century eyewitness. And We've been following Jesus around as he's journeyed through an Israel suffering under the occupying force of the Roman Empire. We've seen him be a teacher, a healer, an exorcist. And in today's lesson, Jesus has arrived for the last time in the capital city of Jerusalem. That's where the great temple was, the center of Jewish religious life. It was the home of God. And after Jesus has visited the temple, Mark tells us that he's leaving, and one of his disciples just kind of makes this offhand comment. He marvels to him about the size and the magnificence of the buildings. And I should have said, feel free to follow along on your own Bibles and Bible app or the Pew Bible in front of you. We're in, we're in Mark chapter 13. Both ancient historians and modern archaeology would give us a sense of the disciples' awe because these stones were massive. Some were as large as 80 tons, 100 feet off the ground. So from a physical standpoint, the temple must have felt utterly indestructible, like permanent, like more like a mountain than something that people had built. And from a spiritual perspective as well, the temple was the, the center of the Jewish world. The world was unimaginable without it. It was where the Jewish people made their sacrifices to God, where they kept the law that God had given them. The temple felt like it was something that would last, something that would endure, which is what makes Jesus' reply to his disciple so shocking. He says, look, you see these buildings? They're all going to fall. Not one stone left on another. And this was probably followed by an awkward silence because what this amounted to was Jesus proclaiming the end of the world. Later, his inner circle of disciples asked him, when all of this is going to go down, they said, you know, what are the signs? How are we going to know that the end is coming? This is an obsession that has gripped people ever since. How can we know? How can we know? And Jesus tells them, be alert, because it's going to be confusing. He says, look, don't be led astray by end times prophets claiming my name. There's still loads of them. He says, look, things are going to start falling apart, and the things that you thought were stable and enduring are going to start coming undone, like nations, kingdoms, the earth itself and its harvest, earthquakes and famine. And when the big things come undone, he says, the smaller things will too. Families are going to betray each other. You're going to be persecuted for my name's sake. But when things are coming undone, Jesus says, don't you fall apart. Stay strong. Stay true to what you believe. You don't, you don't need to plan ahead. You just need to stay close to God and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, will be with you and speak through you. 
It's going to hurt, he says, but there's salvation at the end for the one who endures. And this conversation happened on the last week of Jesus' life on earth. That Thursday night, he was betrayed. That Friday, he died for our sins. That Sunday, he was raised from the dead. And the church began. But what he's predicted in our reading, the, the destruction that he's predicted in our reading came true a, couple decade, a few decades later in AD 70, when the Romans responded to a Jewish rebellion by completely destroying the temple raising it to the ground, not one stone left on another. It was a time of unbelievable persecution and suffering. It was the end of the Jewish world in a real way, because what was supposed to endure didn't, and what was supposed to last came tumbling down. It was the end of the world, and then the world kept on going. That's what the world does. It keeps on ending. You ever lived through the end of the world? Because Jesus wasn't only talking about what happened in A.D. 70, the destruction of the Jewish temple. These chapters in Mark record his teaching that the world will someday come to an end, that the world is coming to an end, so that a new world can emerge, and it hurts. But it hurts, Jesus says, like a birth hurts. And the destruction of the temple was but the beginning of the birth pangs, verse 8. And the world's disasters and famines, its wars and rumors of wars, its injustices and betrayal, the pain of the world is the pain of labor, of giving birth. The Scripture says elsewhere that we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. The world has been laboring these 2,000 years. And the world is laboring still. And if you've ever witnessed a childbirth, you'll know it's actually a pretty good metaphor for human history. It's agonizing, lots of blood and lots of screaming with brief pauses for breath. With agonizing slowness, something new is being born. And that's our faith, that by God's grace, the pain of life is somehow generative, not simply destructive. That in the world and in our lives, God can bring something new out of the old. But that's a hard hope, I know, to hold on to when the world's ending. Look at these large stones. Look at this large building. It's hard to believe, but St. Paul's hasn't always looked like this. The stained glass, the carved marble, the, the plaques on the walls. When this church, the new church, replacing the old building opened, it was astonishingly austere and stark. Clear glass windows, unadorned architecture, bare walls. It opened in 1913. And the next year, the war came and their world ended. It took a generation of the church's young men, and the congregation cast their grief against the walls of their new church, grief taking the shape of monuments and plaques and art and beauty of all kinds. And the memorial plaques are excruciating to read. A record of men 
many of them little more than boys, killed half a world away, died in his 21st year, his 25th year, dead age 19. And the visual and spiritual center of the place, the carved marble behind the high table, depicts generals and soldiers from that conflict and one woman, Florence Nightingale, flanking the Last Supper with the years of the war, 1914 to 1918, carved right below Jesus, where we do our weekly act of remembrance, do this in remembrance of me. This church, as we have received it, as we've inherited it, is the trauma of that loss carved into stone. The trauma of the end of the world. It's the silent plea of a long dead generation. Remember, remember, remember what we lost. And we do. We do remember. But not forever. Because even mountains are ground into plains, and every stone laid by human hands falls in the end. All will be thrown down. And what then? What happens when we forget? What happens when we're forgotten? I want to do a little experiment that's not going to make anybody feel good. Could you please raise your hand if you know the names of all four of your grandparents? At least four. Maybe you had more than four because of... If you know four of your grandparents, raise your hand. Okay, now keep your hand up if you know, if you could tell me right now the names of all eight of your great-grandparents. I've got a couple takers. Any 16 great-grandparents? Okay, so consider this. There is no area of our lives, none, where we have more effect than our families, for good or for bad. And yet, if we are any example, within three generations, the vast majority of us will be forgotten by our families. Even our names, forgotten. Let alone who we are. Our loves and our hates, our struggles and our triumphs, our blood and our breath, the very fire of our lives, gone, like it never existed, forgotten. And Scripture tells us that this forgetting, like our desire to remember and to be remembered, is baked into creation itself. Listen to this. Scripture says that God has made everything beautiful in its time, and God has put eternity in the human heart, it says, but in such a way that we cannot know what God has done from beginning to the end. Eternity in our hearts, but we can't know what God has done. We, we know that we stretch between a past and a future that go forever before and back, but we can't see very far in that. Try as we might, we, we can't truly remember in the same way that we ourselves will be forgotten. All we're given is the knowledge that past and future are there and the beauty of a thing in its time. This life that you have. All our remembering should call us back in the end to the beauty of a God-made thing in its time, this life, this realization that neither the past nor the future belongs to us, that all we have is the time we are given, that it is our job, our labor, our joy to make this time, in its time, beautiful, knowing that whatever beauty we make in our time, our work, our families, our politics will be quickly forgotten. This realization is, I think, what it means to live at the end of the world. Because in the end, there's nothing that's too big to fail. 
Every billionaire today is going to be bones in the dirt in a hundred years, and the, their fortunes will be passed on to others, and the world will be under the thumb of men and women who aren't born yet. No stones so large, no buildings so grand, no corporations so rich, no nations so great that it doesn't all come down in the end. And the fact that everything ends, that the world and all its desires is passing away, as Scripture says, the fact that you and I are dying is a reminder of the judgment of God to which all things flow. Everything is passing on, and we who strive so deeply to be remembered to count for something should not ourselves forget that in the end all of time is gathered into the memory of God, and that everything we forget Everything we lose empties into the fathomless basin of God's recollection, and there we will have to give account. It's a bit of a frightening thought, but that's okay, because we need to remember that above all, we need mercy. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, Jesus says, and here's our mandate for living at the end of the world. Because I've got to be honest with you, the world kind of feels like it's ending, to me. It feels that way to me. I, I can't make out the world that my girls are going to inherit. I used to think I could, but I can't anymore. It, it feels like we've hit a tipping point on climate change. It feels like our politics are inadequate to address our challenges. It feels like our divisions are going to get worse before they get better. I'm not meaning to be pessimistic. This is just sort of how it looks to me for what it's worth. And this might well be the end of the world, but it always is. It always is. Remember, the world has ended before. That's what the world does. It ends. We end. But God has made everything beautiful in its time. And there's our charge. You don't give up on beauty, even when things are getting ugly. And you don't give up on being good even when goodness is hard to find. And you don't give up on peace when the fight comes to you. And you don't give up on love when it's so easy to hate. And you wait, you wait on that Holy Spirit, even when all you want to do is lean on your own strength and your own understanding. And you don't give up and you wait on God. Because the world will forget us and the world will be forgotten in turn. But God remembers. And at the cross, Jesus defeated death, and in the end, death will be destroyed. And even now, those who are dead and lost to us are alive to God because God is the God of the living. God is the God of the living, and He is calling you to follow Him even now even today, because he has made you beautiful in your time. God remembers, and the one who endures to the end will be saved. Amen.